Well, hello, beautiful farmsteaders, land lovers, and dreamers. You farmer wannabes and backyard chicken owners, every winter brings worry about our darling egg-laying ladies and their gents. That means I'm talking chickens today. If this is your first winter keeping chickens, I'm going to make your day with this podcast. I talk about housing, containment, food, water, behavior, light, egg production dropping, predators, and more. This is a mini tutorial and it's stuffed full of the info and hacks that I've accumulated over 17 years of keeping chickens. These are the best things I've shared in the past with students that they've come back later and said, hey, that tip was awesome. So they're compiled here. I'll also tell you that you don't have to do anything fancy or expensive to keep your birds in tip-top shape through the winter. So I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, farmer, shepherdess, goat herder, milkmaid, poultry wrangler here at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. Chickens were my gateway animal into farming, so they have a special place in my heart. Yep, I started with illegal backyard chickens while at my white collar job. After eight years of dodging the Homeowners Association and finally getting busted, our family made the leap to farm life, and we've been at it for nine years now. That's what I talk about here at the Fair Hill Farmcast, the startup, the transition, the adjustment to a major life change. I share stories and I talk about what it feels like when you don't even know what you don't know. Drinking from the fire hose, as I say, of farm life. My mission here is to tell it like it is based on what I've experienced in order to help you sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses as you journey towards your dream of having a farm life. Boy, is it worth it. So it's late fall, winter time, and you're seeing your egg production is down. The ladies are barely laying at all. What a bunch of freeloaders and damn it, I hate that I have to buy eggs from someone else or maybe even go to a store. But this is extremely normal. It's not anything you're doing wrong. Mother Nature gives the birds a time off for the winter for their bodies to recover. Do not fret. As the sun movement reverses, your ladies will turn the corner too, and egg laying will begin after the winter solstice and the daylight starts to increase. Trust me on this. So make sure your egg production isn't down because of other things, though. Maybe your girls have mites. Yep, wintertime is mite time, believe it or not. Pick up those girls, flip them over, check their bottoms. If they're fluffy and clean, awesome. If they're crusty, they should not be. Birds should never have poopy, drippy, or scabby butts. That's a bad sign. Treat them for mites. Best, easiest, safest, ivermectin. Good old ivermectin. Yep, the cattle swine injectable kind that you can get at the farm store. Not the topical pour-on. Get the injectable. Trust me on this. So even though you're getting the injectable kind, you don't inject it. You're going to put one drop down the gullet. One drop on the base of the neck where it meets the shoulders, one drop on the skin under each armpit, and one drop right above their vent. Check again in a week, keep records for who has crusty butts, and oh yeah, if you have cochins, they might have perma-crusty buns. That's best handled with a haircut, so you need to know what you're looking at. At any rate, you should expect at least a few dozen frozen eggs over the course of the winter. It's winter after all. They're totally edible, no problem unless they're dirty. How do you know if an egg is frozen? If the shell is cracked long ways, it froze. That's the only time they crack in that shape. They can be cracked and you can't see it though, because maybe they cracked and then it got warm again and everything kind of pulled back together. So don't forget to candle your eggs. That means putting a flashlight against one end of the shell to illuminate the egg from the inside. 
People do this to check for developing embryos during incubation, but it's equally useful for detecting cracks that are invisible to the naked eye. So Google how to candle an egg. So when you find a cracked egg, don't throw those cracked eggs out. They're precious this time of year, you know. As soon as you can, slide the innards out of the shell, plop them into a mason jar, and voila, you've got eggs ready to use for whatever. A quart jar can hold about a dozen eggs. Easy peasy. And if you need them scrambled, shake the jar. Pretty cool, huh? So you might be saying, yeah, well, Google says I can put a heat lamp inside the coop and I can keep everyone warm and happy and still laying. Yes, you would be correct to a point but I actually recommend against doing that. Lots of experienced chicken keepers will say that it shortens their productive lifespan of the hens because their bodies need a break from the metabolic toll of producing an egg a day. And as for the heat lamp part, this leads me to the next part, housing. Winter quarters need to be well ventilated but sheltered from the wind. So crack the windows open as much as you can while keeping precipitation out. Ventilation is so key. You want fresh air, but not wind. So if you have the windows on your coop, then open them more than a crack. Chickens are not like us. A coop that's buttoned up tight and warmed by a heat lamp might be comfortable to a human, but it will not only be a fire hazard, it will be full of chicken breath and moisture and stink, which means respiratory problems. It also means that chickens need to adjust between indoor and outdoor temps when they're coming and going. And that's really hard on their little bodies. According to Joel Salatin, regarding winter quarters for laying flocks, he said, quote, it is better to totally confine the animals in a well-lighted, well-ventilated facility than to confine them in a barn with continual access to an adjacent yard, end quote. So if you have this ability, I'd say, heck, go for it. I personally don't. I don't have that luxury of having my own rack, and it's rabbit, chicken, overwinter hoop house. So I do have the birds confined in a coop at night, but free access to the yard during the day. Exactly what he was talking about. But back to respiratory issues for a second. If you see birds sneezing and head shaking, well, it might be time to take a hard line approach. That's what I do. I remove and quarantine that bird. If that bird is no better, without intervention, in one day, goes to freezer camp. I do not do medication support for single birds in case of illness. I only medicate for injuries, or parasites. Why is that? Well, here's the hard truth. A bird that has a respiratory illness will forever be a reservoir for reemergence of that respiratory problem in the future, even if it recovers fully. And let that sink in. It can go dormant and reinfect your whole flock at some other stress time in the future, and it is transmissible. So, I know this culling policy sounds kind of extreme to beginners. I heard the same advice when I started out and I thought, no way, I can do better, certainly. You know, I'm that kid who had to touch the stove to believe that it was hot. So what did I do? I treated sick birds and then I put them back with a flock afterwards. Well, let me tell you, I ended up with so many birds sick, it was like dominoes through my flock. I ended up culling half of our award-winning champion Buckeyes. It broke my heart. A lesson with a steep price right there. It was the end of us keeping Buckeyes as a breed too. Well, why is that? Not because of the losses, but because we found that only the Buckeyes were affected. The other breeds were completely fine. As it turns out, Buckeyes have a tendency to not hop up under the roosts for the night. Not sure why, but they would just squat down and sleep in the bedding for the night. It's not healthy for chickens to do this. This brings us to roosts. 
give your birds a spot to roost and enough room for everyone to roost together. I allow one foot of linear roost space per bird. That's actually more than required. I think they only say like eight to 10 inches is truly necessary, but I like everyone to be comfy. So if I have a dozen hens, I make sure I have 12 linear feet of total roost space available. Roost should be made of not metal, no recycled pipes, no PVC. They need to be able to get a grip on it and it needs to have a bit of texture. Flat top is actually best. I use two by threes or two by fours to keep them from bowing and it's perfect. Specifically, the roost should be between two and four inches wide and 18 to 36 inches off the floor. Now, my Buckeyes were in a spot at the time where the roosts were 36 inches off the floor. So if I had had the wherewithal to put roosts just maybe two feet off the ground, probably I would still have them. But you know, it's interesting because the lesson still remains. So anyway, back to the roosts. Why so wide? Because chickens settle down on perches with flat feet, not curled around little benches like a robin. They're flat. When their feet are flat, it enables them to settle down and keep their little feetsies warm with their own bellies. Pretty neat, actually. If you don't want hens in your nest boxes at night, make sure that the roosts are higher than the nest boxes. All right, so quick question. Quiz time. Can chickens get frostbite? Yes. I've seen it in very old chickens whose hearts aren't very strong anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. And it shows up on their toes. But usually you'll see frostbite on big floppy combs at any age. So it's typically the roosters, but occasionally hens too. While breeds with rose combs or pea combs like Americanas and some Mediterranean breeds aren't totally immune, they do not usually need intervention. If your birds get frostbite, you'll know because the tips look purple and then they turn whitish and they might bleed a bit and then parts eventually fall off. So if you're going to be getting temperatures down into the teens, go ahead, sneak into the coop when it's dark and give a good smear of Vaseline on those big cone birds. All good. And if a rooster, when you go in there, is sleeping with his head under his wing, you can skip him. He'll keep his own comb warm. Don't worry about it. He doesn't need a greasy armpit. So there's always concern about cold-induced bodily stress. I'll share a pattern with you. This is something that I learned over the years from my mentors. In general, you will see animals getting sick or faltering if they're young, old, fat, or unhealthy. Kind of like us. But here's the important part. It usually doesn't manifest during the cold snap itself. It will show up in the days afterwards. Did you hear that? So if you're doing extra stuff for your birds in a very cold snap, keep it going for a full week after that polar vortex has abated. What kind of extra stuff are we talking about? Well, got a full winter regimen and here we go. It looks like this. After there's snow on the ground, the chickens get a fresh flake of hay, <coughs> excuse me, in their yard every day. Not straw, hay, the good stuff with alfalfa in it, like I feed my dairy goats. Chickens are omnivores and they get bored and they want things to do. So when they're too bored, they start beating on and even eating each other. So digging through hay is edible fun for them. Flock block is great. What's this? Well, you can find them at feed stores. Google flock block and you'll see a picture of a 10 inch cube looking granola bar to thing. It's pretty much what it is. It's very, very hard. It has molasses and vitamins and minerals and yummy things in it for chickens. I'd suggest keeping them in the coop because they melt in the rain. They're really only held together by the molasses. So they're on the expensive side, but they last a long time and they keep beaks from getting overgrown in the winter. That's also something for them to do mentally. Again, chickens are gangsters and bored hens are mean girl cannibals. Give them something to do and everyone gets along. 
If you're feeling really adventurous, you can drill a big fat hole through a cabbage and hang it on a rope. Chickens will nibble away at it until it's gone. Other fresh veggies are good for them. Kitchen scraps like lettuce buds, apple cores, wilted lettuce, wilted cucumbers, all good for them as long as it's not too hard. Do not feed raw potato, avocado, chocolate, obviously, onion, garlic, citrus fruits. Citrus is a big no-no with chickens. Uncooked rice, uncooked beans. Cooked rice, cooked beans are both fine. All right. Scratch is another valuable thing to have on the farmstead, also known as scratch grains. You can buy them at the feed store. It's like candy to chickens. You will have fat chickens if you feed this all the time. For a dozen chucks, throw out about a quart scoop of scratch in one to two hours before sunset. This will keep their metabolic furnace going through the night. Scratch in the evening keeps them warm overnight. It has to be nighttime to be effective though. And I only do this when we're having deep cold. All right, as for feed, usually 16% layer ration is recommended for layers. It's pretty standard. I like to keep my layers on 18% during the winter. A little extra protein helps them offset the extra calories they're burning staying warm. You can put them back on 16 in the spring. Now, a quick little message from me. If you like this podcast, you have other ideas for others, or maybe you're interested in getting more deep dive or specific livestock management coaching just for you or a speaking event, it's what I do here. Drop me a line at judith at fairhillfarm.blog. Write me at judith, J-U-D-I-T-H, at fairhillfarm.blog. Dot blog. Okay, back to our tips and hacks. Let's talk the big problem in the winter, water. In the winter, per gallon of water, I add about a tablespoon of raw apple cider vinegar. You'll see this abbreviated as ACV in a bunch of web forms. Depending on the type of water that you have, you might want different solutions. Um, I've tried all of these. I live in central Ohio and it gets down to 10 below or 20 below Fahrenheit here every once in a while, just for reference. So if I'm using an overhead water, I usually make them from a bucket with the little water nipples hanging from the bottom. I add a de-icer to the bucket, not a heater, a de-icer. It's completely different. Don't put water heaters in for poultry or other animals. It dissuades them from drinking. It causes your electric bills to go up and it can melt through containers. Um, And it also causes your water to be warmer than it needs to be and it will evaporate faster. So water heaters are a bad idea unless you're in like Canada and other really cold places. So get a de-icer. That means it only comes on when it is right above freezing and it turns back off after about like I want to say like 45 degrees. So my favorite of all the kinds of de-icers that I've tried is by Farm Innovators Incorporated. I have no financial interest in this company. I just, this is just my favorite. This is the one I found works really well. It's never let me down. It's consistently pretty good manufacturing. It's a 250 watt model. It fully submerges in water. It's a silver metal flattened ring that looks like a life preserver with a black base handle with a cord coming out of it. It's sort of shaped like a thick tennis racket. It's about seven to eight inches long. It's pretty heavy. It's about like a maybe about two pounds, pound and a half, two pounds. So you can get them online at Tractor Supply Company or probably at your local feed store. Right now in 2022, it costs $55. They were $28 eight years ago. But I still think they're worth every single penny. They will last for three years consistently. They'll often last for four, and occasionally you'll get five years out of them. So in my mind, I think they're still worth it. I use them 
um, in all of my livestock waters here on the farm. I use them for my sheep and my goats too. So if you don't have one, get one now before they sell out. You'll thank me later. Oh, and about the overhead bucket waterers. I make a winter lit. I cut a hole in it and I thread the de-icer, um, the outlet, the actually plug-in part up through the little hole. Then I fill that with some foam and I twist the cord up around and tie it to the chain that the whole water is hanging on. It's really easy to refill. I've never had one fail yet. Don't forget to test the nipples when it's really, really cold every day. I have had them freeze a little bit if the de-icer gets tipped over on its side. So don't forget to test. Okay, so if you use the fonts, they sort of look like the, the water fountains where the water is up above and it flows out into the pan underneath. Time to put them away because they will fail every single time in the wintertime. Don't bother. Um, they need to be replaced with something else. Now, I replace mine with rubber pans. And a rubber pan, um, because buckets will break and get frozen solid. So if you see one of those black flexible rubber feed bowls that they sell for feeding livestock, you can still get the ice out of them, even if that thing's frozen solid. That's the cool part about it. It's the rubber, it's the, it's the flexibility, the flexibleness of the material I'm talking about. You flip it over, and you just stomp on it, boom, voila, every single time, unless it's frozen solid to the and full at the top. So keep that in mind. It helps if you flip them over and stomp them, um, get rid of the ice in the evenings. Uh, overnight, it tends to get really rock hard and everything's harder. So I leave them upside down outside the pen so I remember to fill them with the morning chores. If you've got hard buckets, for me, hard buckets in the winter, hard pass. You'll have broken buckets and thirsty chickens. Um, so here's my little water hack that I'd like to share. In sub-Z weather with snow on the ground, when the bowls will freeze fast, I make snow cones. Yep, if it's so cold that open water will only last a couple hours, I make snow cones. I will pack several layers of snow or sleet, I pack it firmly in several layers, into the bowl. If the birds don't know what it is, maybe it's their first year, I teach them by mixing a bit of scratch into the first half inch of the snow cone bowl. They'll figure it out. Now remember, it's not a full substitute for water, still break ice or give them water two times during the day, but it's a good backup and it's certainly better than nothing. And they'll really eat it after they learn what it is. Another water hack, fences. Yes, you heard that right. You need to water your grounding rods too, not just your chickens, if you use Electronet, which I really recommend because predators are more active in the winter. I'll get back to predators in a second. So make sure your perimeters have the snow away from the bottoms of your Electronet as much as possible. And here's the hack for you. When it comes to the grounding rods, get a cinder block, the kind with two holes in them. Place that cinder block on its side with your grounding rod up through the middle of one of the holes. Smush that cinder block down into the ground so it's firmly in the ground. Now fill up that hole with water. It'll sink down into the ground. That's good. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And about once a week, give your grounding rods a drink. That will keep your fences hot and protect against predators. And the cinder block hole acts like a little funnel and it diverts and, and keeps the water concentrated into that area right where your grounding rod is. So we're back there to predators, both aerial and ground, okay? They usually eat wild rodents, but they're having a harder time finding prey this time of year because it's all under snow and leaves or their prey's hiding or hibernating. But birds of prey are especially very hungry. This past summer's babies are now immature adults and they're learning how to hunt. They're not very good at it. They're not getting fed by their parents. Um, and the majority of them do starve to death or make bad choices and get injured or killed. So as a result, 
they'll take risks that seasons adults don't normally take. That means that your birds are under more threat because these are some desperate predators that aren't very good at doing what they do. So if you have bad problems, reconfigure your electronet, if the ground isn't too frozen, obviously, into a star shape to dissuade aerial predators. Make sure your chickens have a place to hide. I have a tripod of logs in the middle of my winter chook yard. I put a feed pan under there and it gives them something to stand under. Nothing is foolproof, but everything helps. So lots of little things will help. For instance, they don't like when things change, so keep things a little different from day to day. Activity helps to deter not only hawks and aerial predators, but ground predators as well. One more funny thing. If your chooks look at the first snow and they say, hell no, we're not going out there, it looks like death. This is completely normal. They've never seen snow before and it looks very, very scary to them. So if you throw some hay out on the snow, it'll encourage them to go out and they're surrounded by the snow and eventually they'll figure it out. But they don't wanna step on the snow. That's just the way they are. So like I said, scatter some hay around on the snow so that they can walk on that and throw some scratch down for them too. Even if it's morning, that's okay. They'll figure it out, uh, but it will go faster and it will be more healthy for them if you can coax them out like that. Okay, that's it for today. I'll keep these things coming. Till next time, enjoy your winter. As always, eat what you grow, bloom in your community, enjoy an abundant, resilient, rooted life. I will see you in the field.